and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. And I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, so whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the episode. Season 5, Episode 5, No Place Like Home. No Place Like Home, that is a Wizard of Oz reference, is it not? Correct. So, I just realized that now, it's not like I have this in my notes at all. (laughs) But uh, perhaps we need to find the connection <laughs> while, while we're watching this episode to Wizard of Oz? I think it has a couple of meanings. Um, one of which I'm not sure was fully fleshed out in this episode. It's just one that I obviously am aware of having watched the show before, so I can't talk about it now. Um, having to do with one of the characters we got introduced to. But yeah, I think there's a couple of meanings here. I think it talks about Buffy's relationship with her family. Um, I, I think it, it it's all about... Uh, connection and the idea that Buffy in many ways in this episode feels divorced from reality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the difference between what's real and what's not real. Ooh. So this episode, it kind of spun my head a bit because- You feel like a blonde woman in a red dress has you know sucked your brains out? Yeah. Or like I'm in a house that's stuck in a tornado just spinning around and around and around. I was like, okay, this is very much like out of my mind quality at first. But then the more I watched it and by the time we hit this middle mark, I was really enjoying it. And then by the end, I got- emotionally moved and i was like wow what a roller coaster journey this was (laughs) and i will add um the very long scenes right like there's not a lot of cuts in this episode there's just very long wordy scenes and i was very surprised that the reveal that happens at the end of this episode happens in this episode i expected it for like an episode seven you know like a big season reveal but it happened now yeah I mean, I like that they're not wasting time. I think I said that earlier in the season. I'm just like, they're really developing things, you know. Um, It's nice to see everything getting off to a start. I feel like this season has a kind of confidence to it that maybe season four didn't have. And I'm just, I'm curious to see as we continue on in the season, how we feel about how it builds up to that final arc, right? Because... I think that was one of our main objections to season four. Uh, Certainly there were a lot of enjoyable episodes in season four, but we were very disappointed by how, you know, we lost Maggie Walsh and then Adam came in, but he was a bit of a dud as far as like big bad plans go. So I'm curious to see like once we have a better understanding this season of who's the big bad and what is their plan and how is Buffy fighting them? Does it fizzle out the way season four did, or is it more impressive? I don't know. There, and I think this episode in particular, you noted the length of the scenes. Um, I, I think that the writing, the storytelling, some of the, there's these subtle moments between characters, which I'm going to talk about later as we go through. Everybody knows what they're doing at this point. You know, 
like i can't believe we're in season five <laughs> um we've been doing this for a little bit now and the show is just so well established it's comfortable and you can really pick up on that in an episode like this yeah I agree. It's a good payoff after this long haul of five seasons anyway, four and a half. Uh, let's get into it. So we open up and there's two monks running frantically through the hallways. I said of Lord Moloch's temple <laughs> from season one. Uh, we don't know where they are, uh, but this this happened two months ago, says the caption. So they meet with a third monk and they barricade this door, and they're in a large room, and they're speaking a different language. Uh, is it Russian? Is it Czech? What is it? It's Czech. I looked it up because I didn't want to seem like a fool. <laughs> and I'm just going to guess out loud and hope that you were there to save me. You were. <laughs> so um, they're, th they're saying, it's coming. It's going to kill us. Our lives aren't important. We must protect the key. So they begin to perform a ritual that requires chanting. Um, something's pounding at the door, something very sounds like it's big is pounding at the door uh they try not to break their concentration and then just as whatever it is bursts through the door the wind blows and there's a big light that ascends from the middle of their chanting circle into the sky and then we cut away from that we cut to uh private property an empty parking lot, which has some sort of warehouse or factory next to it. Uh, and Buffy is battling this huge vampire. Like, it's just like, it's like a wrestling vampire. He looks like a biker vampire. Ooh, he's probably a newly turned boy from one of the white boy gangs. <laughs> You're right. He is a white boy. He's a white boy gang vampire. <laughs> So um, Buffy is slaying him, giving him sass because he says, I've always wanted to kill the Slayer. And Buffy's like, I've always wanted piano lessons. So really, who's surprised we have all this unexpressed rage? And she's fighting him and she says, I'm expressing mine better. Tell you what. She pins him against the fence and then she says, you find good anger management class. And then she pulls out a stake and she says, I'll jam this pokey wood stick through your heart. And then she does. So... As she's putting the stake away, a flashlight shines on her. There's a security guard there, and he's telling her, if you're looking for one of those rave parties, like I chased a bunch of kids out of here last night. And I was like, rave parties in Sunnydale? <laughs> There's a whole life of young adults happening elsewhere in Sunnydale, not at the bronze, not at the campus at school but at like factories where there's rave parties. Well, you see, Steph, back in the day before teenagers had TikTok, they actually left their houses, you know? Kids these days are just on their screens 24-7. Back in my day, I had to leave my house and go do drugs at a rave. I, I never actually did any of that. I have no idea what a rave would be no, like. No, no, you're, you're but, very correct. You, know. <laughs> you, you outlined that very nicely. Um yeah, well, Buffy missed the party, and she says that. She's like, oh, darn, my fellow ravers will be disappointed. <laughs> it was my turn to bring the bunt cake. So clearly, you know more about raves than Buffy does. Uh, the security guard says no one is using this place, right? So he's like, oh, you know me, I can't argue with the bus. So was he, he, was he like looking for a bribe there? Was he thinking like, if I hint <laughs> that I'm okay with them using this place for a rave, maybe they're going to slip me some cash and I'll look the other way? Maybe it's simpler than that. Maybe he's like, maybe they'll invite me to the rave. <laughs> Aww. I did like this security guard. I thought that was really sweet of him. He's not, you know, he's not giving Buffy a hard no. time. No, and he was like, you know, if it were up to me, I'd let your kids do whatever you want because I'm one of those cool dads. I'm a cool guy. Uh, <laughs> you know, like he was, he was really chill. Um, 
So the security guard hands Buffy this glowy ball. He's like, don't forget this. And he's like, glow balls, huh? I swear, I don't get your generation. What is that thing? And sir, you're not going to do well at the rave if you don't know that glow balls are all the rage in 2000. Um, Buffy says, I'll let you know when I find out. Cut to credits. So we're at the Summer's house. Uh, Buffy's in the kitchen and she's making her mom bedroom breakfast giles must have told her about this all this new rage because joyce is only used to getting dinner in a bag or breakfast in a bag or snacks in a bag but buffy's like no we're gonna try bedroom breakfast where i bring it up to her in a tray and she's decorated the tray so nicely there's like so she's making french toast there's like a little vase and flowers and like napkins it's so cute and dawn comes down and buffy says don't touch anything And she's like, you know, mom's still sick and she needs something that's not instant for breakfast and she doesn't need you. But then, of course, Dawn has immediately started playing with the tray. She knocks over the vase and Buffy says, doing that. Joyce comes in and she's like, check out the pamper mom platter. You two do all this. And Dawn says, oh, Buffy helped. I just. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot to say about Dawn in this episode. Good and bad, right? Like, I think there's some good things. I think there's some bad things. <laughs> Wait, I don't, I don't know where to start. I don't know where to start either. So with this, I, okay, I'm with you. I'm hot and cold on Dawn in this episode. And I get why. Like, I get why they wrote her this way. I get it. But this was rude. I'm sorry. Buffy got up early to make her mother breakfast. And you like Dawn could have easily said, oh yeah, we both did it. But instead she says Buffy helped, as in like taking credit for Buffy's thoughtfulness. And hey, younger siblings, I'm, I'm the youngest sibling. I'm the baby of the family. Sure, we could be pests, <laughs> but this was rude. Yeah, I agree. So Joyce is like, neither of you is pregnant, failing or under indictment. Just checking. And Buffy says, well, we knew you weren't feeling, you know, you're feeling less than great. And Joyce says, yes, the headaches they said would go away, came back and brought some friends along with them. The doctor says, take four pills a day and then come back for tests. So, oh no, whatever happened to Joyce in the previous episode, still happening. Uh, Buffy says, you know, that's unacceptable. We should get a second opinion. And Joyce is like, well, we need a first opinion first, honey. And Buffy's like, well, we'll go go right now. Like, you can tell Buffy's really anxious about this. And Joyce says, I know you're concerned, but don't be. I'm still the mom, which means I get to worry about you two. It's a good thing because you're a vampire slayer. And you, she's talking to Dawn, are my little pumpkin belly. And Dawn sits on her lap. And again, like, I just... Dawn is 14 years old. I just feel like the way she's depicted on the show is all wrong for her age. And again, she was supposed to be younger. Supposed to be 11 or 12. Uh, See, I I see this as Joyce is feeling insecure about being ill. And, you know, she's finding refuge in her role as a mom. And she wants to mother Dawn, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like... She's trying to like call back to the good old times. Yeah, absolutely. I, I And I get that too. Um, and I think when you put it from Joyce's perspective, of course, that's – and I think Willow says this later too, right? That's the baby and that's maybe that's what Joyce needs. But I was thinking about it purely from Dawn's standpoint. When you're 14 trying to be taken seriously, like she – as much as she wants Buffy and her and her Buffy's friends to think that she's an equal to them, she really does let Joyce baby her. And I just didn't think that was realistic. However – 
Dawn does scoff at Pumpkin Belly as her nickname, and so do I. It's a terrible nickname. Uh, Buffy asks if, um, did, did I have any nicknames? And Joyce is like, nope, you're always just Buffy. And Dawn's like, I've got some names for you. So Joyce says, hey, why are you home? It's Giles's big day. It's grand opening. Go bring me back a frying broomstick or something. And then she says to Dawn, book club tonight. And Buffy's like, you have a book club? And like, they do. And I think that's really sweet and cute. Oh, do Dawn's in. I thought this was where Joyce goes later that night. Oh, no, I think I thought it was between Joyce and Dawn. <laughs> That's what I thought at first. Yeah. But then later when Dawn, when Joyce leaves, you know, she's like, I'm going out. I thought she was going out to the book club. Okay, well, then that changes. See, I thought Buffy got annoyed after that. And she's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to leave um, because she's feeling left out. Like, obviously, Joyce and Dawn have a close connection. That, that's what I thought when I watched yeah. the scene. Yeah. And then later in the episode, I'm like, oh, no. Okay. So I, I think what Buffy's annoyed at is that means she's going to be stuck babysitting Dawn. Oh, right. And that Joyce is leaving when she should be resting. Yeah. So 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 Buffy says, um, you know, I'm going to go. I want you to relax. Take it easy. Keep your feet up. Plenty of Oprah. Dawn says, oh, great. great. I want you to check my homework and we can play games. And Buffy realizes that Dawn is not going to leave Joyce alone all day. So she takes her with her. And here's my first kind of thoughts about Dawn. Again, I just think because she's supposed to be younger and they don't seem to adjust that for the age that Michelle Trachtenberg is, I think she's a miscast at this point. It's really distracting for me. Interesting. I don't think I'm going to be as harsh as you. I totally see where you're coming from. Valid opinion. I'm not going to argue it, but uh, I, I'm just like, eh. I'm going to roll with it. <laughs> We're rolling with it. I I'm rolling. I'm, I'm rolling with the best of them. I'm just, it is a true distraction. This is episode five of this season. And I just, the more I look at her, the more I, I watch this, I'm like, she should be younger. They should have casted a younger actress. So at the magic shop, Buffy enters. The store is empty. And Giles is standing there in a wizard's costume like a like a harry potter <laughs> like, so is this a, is this offensive to wizards or witches like if willow had come in would she be like that's my culture <laughs> yeah it's possible it's actually very possible i remember when i was in salem for my bachelorette we did a tour like um with a, a like a witch tour and there was um, a a man that was leading the tour i asked him like have you ever seen wicked like the <laughs> <laughs> like the the musical um or wizard of oz right with the with the wicked witch of the west and stuff and he says oh yeah like i do not support green face or whatever because he's like yeah there are some depictions in media that really you know make it silly make make what we do here silly so i wonder i'd someone write in and let us know if <laughs> giles wearing this wizard's costume was offensive <laughs> um it's just funny this, the way this is shot because Buffy and him are just staring at each other, having a very silent conversation. And then finally, Giles just takes off his costume. Like, Buffy didn't have to say anything. However, I was also like, Buffy, why you gotta, like, stomp all over Giles' good time? <laughs> you know? Like, sometimes Giles gets really festive. Oh my god, I'm having flashbacks to the sombrero. Yeah, but I mean, in some ways better than others. <laughs> But he was really down for Halloween last year. And even at Christmas, remember the amends episode? No, yes. Amends episode in season three where we got a quick shot of Giles and the library and he had decorated a little bit for Christmas. All I can think about Giles in this scene and this episode is how... So last season he was really into like just like sweaters. You know, he didn't really wear his suits that much. This season, the suit jacket is back, 
but there's no tie. He's business casual Giles. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's interesting to me how the first couple of seasons of Buffy, he was tie and suspenders or braces for uh, those of you in the UK. Like he was super formal. And now it's like, okay, now he's like, um, it's more of that kind of like casual, um, I don't know what the right word for it is, right? But he, he looks cooler now. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. He's not a bunch yeah, of he's nerd stuffy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a good way of, of describing it. So that's what I noticed in this episode is it's he's not as laid back as unemployed <laughs> Giles was, um, but he's not quite as stuffy as seasons one to three Giles. Well, he's proprietor Giles now, so he's got a whole new attitude. Uh, Dawn comes in and she says, when is it open for, cu- when is it open for customers, you know, because it's empty. And Giles says, since nine this morning, actually. And of course, that's not the first time in this episode where Dawn is going to put her foot in her mouth. Buffy says, Dawn, go browse. And uh, don't forget. And Dawn's like, yeah, I know. I break it. You bought it. I heard you the first 60 times. So Giles is speaking to Buffy and he says, you know, not to worry. I have a good feeling about this place. Magic is a small niche market, but Sunnydale monsters supply and demand. They'll be lining up around the block in no time. So... When I was first watching this, I really truly believed. I was like, oh, it's going to be a failure because I just I didn't remember a lot about this episode. We'll see if I'm right or if I was right or if I was wrong. She was not right. <laughs> so Giles asks Buffy if she's okay. And Buffy says her mom is still sick and we don't know what what the deal is. And Giles is like, oh, sorry, like there's still time and like, you know, patience. Willow and Riley and Riley come in. Were they hanging out together? Maybe they're on campus together. We don't know where they were. And Willow says, Giles, where's your hat and cloak? <laughs> So Willow really does support Giles' silly sides. Buffy shows the Scoobies her glowy ball. And Giles says, it appears to be paranormal in origin. And Willow's like, how can you tell? And he's like, well, it's so shiny. (laughs) So Buffy says she found it on patrol. And Riley's like, well, there there may be more where that came from. I say we go back out tonight. And Buffy's like, sure. And then Dawn says, you can't patrol. Buffy said... And Buffy's like, no, I didn't. And Dawn says, yeah, remember? You said it would be easier if you didn't have to look out for anybody. And Buffy's like, well, I wasn't talking about Riley. And Riley's like, yeah, don't worry about it. And Dawn says, she said you look even cuter when you're all weak and kitteny. And she'd better go solo or you'll get hurt. So welcome to the club. She never lets me go either. So Ugh. this this is where I was like, Dawn. Shut the fuck up. Although in hindsight, I see I see what the episode is doing. Um, it's laying the groundwork here of like, oh, there's something sinister going on. She's undermining her sister. What's happening? Yeah. But yeah, at first I was just like, Dawn, like, come on. Shut up. Solidarity Shut up. here. You got to learn girl code, like... Right? And also, like, like to be fair, Dawn, again, about her age, like, she's 14 years old. Like, I just feel like she should just, like, read the room at this point. Like, I just... It just... It, ooh, that was annoying. So, everyone's staring. Everyone's awkward, obviously. And she's like, what? And Riley says, Giles, do you have that danger room set up out back? I'm feeling the need for a little physical rehab right now. So, should we be, be feeling bad for Riley here? Because I don't. No. Yeah, like, I I don't. I was like, sure, Riley really wants to feel like Buffy needs him in his manly man way. He feels like she doesn't love him. But do you really want her pretending that she thinks that you're stronger than you are? That she thinks that you can still fight vampires? Riley previously has told us he's decided, he's made up his mind that Buffy doesn't love him. 
In which case, you know, he's not willing to discuss that with her. He's not willing <laughs> yeah. to have an honest conversation with her. Yep. So I don't feel sorry for him. I would feel sorry for him if Buffy were actively misleading him and he didn't realize it, right? I'd be like, oh, poor Riley. Like, he doesn't understand. But it's like, no, Riley, you're insecure. You think your girlfriend doesn't love you, which may or may not be true. But, like, that's what you think. And instead of having a mature conversation about it, like a rational human being, uh, you are leaning hard into the toxic masculinity skid. And I don't think you're going to be able to stay upright for this one, my dude. Yeah, it's true. So Riley has to go let out all of this anger. So he goes to the back and Buffy's like, Dawn, we're going. And Willow's like, Buffy, wait, go easy on her. And Buffy's like, why? <laughs> and Willow says, I can't help it. I have all this involuntary empathy for Dawn because she's a big, and she says a word there. Uh, we'll just say klutz. We got a couple of hot stakes about this, actually, that I will read out at the end of this episode. And like we've already said, we understand now that we've seen the whole episode, why Dawn is so extra annoying in this episode. But I just find it really interesting that Willow says she has involuntary empathy for her, right? She can't help but feel bad for her. Buffy says that she's so annoying. Any, any, Especially now that mom's sick, she's all over her while I have to be the grown-up. The two of them are all the giggle twins, and why can't I ever be little pumpkin belly? And Willow says, I don't feel qualified to address the last part, <laughs> but Dawn, he, she's not just the youngest, she's the baby. And maybe your mom needs that right now, which is the same sentiment you had, Kara. And Buffy says, Dawn doesn't care what my mom, and then she stops herself and she says, you have no idea how much I wish I were an only child these days. Crash behind them, Dawn's broken something. So, ooh, remember I, remember I said back in Real Me? that I really feel like Buffy's Slayer senses are kicking into hard drive. They're like, something's up with this. And I think this is another example of that because she's, she said, my mom, right? Not our mom, my mom. And then she also said, I wish I was an only child. Buffy, you were. You were an only child for most of your life except yeah, the last two some, months. There's some good irony here. Yeah. So they get home and Dawn is still complaining to Buffy and they enter the house and Joyce is on the couch and she's struggling with this headache. So Buffy says, we're going to the doctors. And Joyce is like, no, I just need my prescription. So Buffy grabs the prescription and goes to the hospital pharmacy. Yay, we're at the Sunnydale Hospital. <laughs> so we cut to the hospital. No sign of the chatty doctor, which I have to say, I'm disappointed we don't get to see him again. We miss him so much. <laughs> um, but Buffy does, as she's leaving the pharmacy, uh, she runs into Ben the intern doctor. <laughs> Yay. So we've got chatty doctor, we've got angry doctor, and we've got not my responsibility doctor, and now we've got intern doctor. <laughs> we also have a chip doctor. Right. Um, so he's in the middle of dealing with a patient that's being wheeled on a bed or a gurney, I should say. Uh, through the hall but he stops to have a casual chat with Buffy <laughs> he's got the time <laughs> um, and while they chat Buffy notices that the patient on the gurney is the security guard from the rave small world and he seems to be somewhat in distress uh, he, he's moving around a lot to the point where Ben the intern doctor calls for a sedative he wants to um, restrain the guy because you know he's getting to the point where he could accidentally hurt somebody but before they can deliver the sedative buffy's just like no need 
and just one hand just like pushes the guy down into the gurney long enough for Ben and I presume a porter or an orderly or something to restrain him. And he's impressed by this. And he says, you know, not to be rampantly sexist in the workplace, uh, but you've got some serious muscles for a girl. But to be rampantly sexist. <laughs> right? It's like, you don't have to say it, dude. You, you can think it. You don't have to say it. <laughs> Just say thanks for the help. <laughs> he does try to joke, radioactive spider bite. Is he flirting with her? That's what I want That's, to know. That was my question. I was going to... You took the words right out of my mouth, Steph. <laughs> I want to know, is this supposed to be flirting? I think so. I think, well, eh, it's hard. This is the second time we've met this guy, so we don't know his deal. But, like, Buffy's really beautiful, and he's invested more than enough time in her in these two scenes. So I think it's flirting. Interesting. Okay. We'll keep an eye on this guy. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the the guard, you know, is not sedated. He's just being restrained. I don't know the ethics of how we deal with patients like this. So anybody who works in the healthcare industry, if you're like, you know, I'm, I'm assuming they're not doing a good job of portraying how you should actually deal with a patient like this, let me know. Um, but he grabs Buffy's hand uh, and he says, doesn't help, doesn't make a damn bit of difference. And it seems like he's referring to the drugs that Buffy has, although I, I don't know how he knows what drugs she has. Yeah, I don't know. So Buffy says, as if this makes any difference, she's like, I've met this guy. He's not crazy. And the security guard says, don't think you're above it, Missy. They come through your family. And Buffy says, my family. What do you mean? But for some reason, Ben doesn't think that she should have a sustained conversation with one of his patients in the middle of the hallway. And he's like, get this guy to exam room one. Now would be nice. Kate, this is so funny, though, because if you notice, the people that come and take the gurney away are in white coats. So I assume that they were also doctors. And I was like, you do it, intern. (laughs) (laughs) Ben seems to have a lot of pull in this hospital. And I'm curious if he... It seems like he's going to be a recurring character. So if he yeah. does come back, where is he in hospital hierarchy? Is he like the Sunnydale CEO's son or something? He must be. Like, honestly, I smell a nepotism baby from miles is away. Is he really a doctor? <laughs> <laughs> or is he just yeah. playing one on TV? Um, <laughs> ben picks up the pills because they fell to the floor. Um, and he's like, oh, is, are these for your mom? Uh, she's not feeling better. To which my question is... It, who prescribed the pills? Weren't you the doctor last time? Uh, why aren't they prescribing Joyce weed, <laughs> medical weed? Well, she's been prescribing herself for a long time. So. <laughs> They're like, you've got enough at home. You're immune to what we have. <laughs> Your stuff is so strong. She probably <laughs> supplies their medical <laughs> marijuana. That's how Ben knows her. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, That's funny. So Buffy's like, oh, no, not yet. But she will be. I'm starting to figure out what's wrong. Oh, great. Buffy's on the case. That's good. My thing also was like Buffy just assumes that this um, guard went crazy overnight is what she says later. But uh, Buffy, how do you know he didn't find that rave and just did a bunch of drugs? <laughs> You don't know. So um, in the abandoned factory from earlier, the one monk is left standing and he's inside with a candle and he's saying, God, help me. And he's looking at a map of Sunnydale and uh, he hears banging at the door and he's like, the beast. And the iron door is completely knocked off its hinges and falls to the ground. And a woman with fantastic hair and a tight red dress and heels is standing there and she says, there you are. I've been looking all over for you. Ooh, I 
love that intro. Uh, at the magic shop, Giles is finishing with two customers. And as they leave, he goes to Willow, who's also at the counter. And he's like, did you see that? Customers, real life customers. They came in and I gave them things and they gave me money and they left. And he laughs and he puts the money in the till. It's like cute. And Willow's like, congratulations, you're an official capitalist running dog. But Willow has not had any luck with her orb research yet. So more customers come in, and as does Anya. And Anya says that his conjuring powder is overpriced, and she's nearly out of money and has never had to afford things before, and it's making her bitter. She tells Giles that he's getting ripped off, and she can hook him up direct with the troll that sheds it. (laughs) And that's when Buffy comes in. And she says to Giles that she has an idea of what's making her mom sick. And she says something supernatural is hurting her. The night watchmen who found the orb went crazy overnight. And they all step back from the orb. They're like, what? (laughs) I love that. And she says, no, it can't hurt us. I had it with me all night. But this guy saw things and said things. He said they'll come for me through my family. So... I don't know what it is yet, but whatever touched this guy, it made him see through what the rest of us are seeing. He knows someone's hurting my mom and they're trying to get me. And Giles says, the ramblings of a madman are not much to go on. And Buffy says, it's a start. We need to find out who is making my mom sick and how. Then I hunt them, find them, and kill them. Okay, point of order, Giles. How many times have you and the Scoobies worked off of scant data from the ramblings of a madman in your library, right? How many times has it been, you know, such and such prophecy says the three or uh, <laughs> the harvest or there were others, right? It was like, oh, this person's going to rise. And how do you know that, Giles? It's because somebody who is a little bit off wrote it down in a book. Exactly. Uh, the amount of prophecies uh, that foretell an apocalypse happening that you find out on the day of the apocalypse is like, you know, it's quite, it's racking up in numbers. This was par for the chorus in all of season one and two, Giles. I'm surprised you've forgotten this, but we're actually in very familiar territory right now. Yeah. So just believe Buffy and get on it. So cut to the warehouse where this woman is, she has the monk tied to a chair, gagged, and she's circling him, and she gives a little speech. And her speech is saying that she's the victim here, right? Like, first off, I don't even want to be here. And I'm not talking about this room, this city, or the state, or this planet. I'm talking about the whole mortal coil. It's disgusting. The food, the clothes, the people. I could crap a better existence than this. <laughs> but okay. And feel free to tell me if this the next part is a little too personal because I'm told I have bad boundary issues, but I'm hurt. Yes, by your incredibly selfish behavior. Newsflash hairdo is not always about you. All I want is the key. Why can't you tell me where the key is? She has more to say, but let's just stop here for a second. And like, what are your first thoughts on this character? We're not given her name in this episode, so we're not going to give it. But um, this is telling us a lot just in this one little bulk of paragraph here, because she's not from this realm, she's saying. She is very Joss Whedon. <laughs> um, you know, th- this, this is because Joss Whedon is really known for the way he writes dialogue, right? That's what Buffy was very well known for, this snappy dialogue. And every once in a while, he creates a character who is so saturated with that way of speaking And that's the case here with this character. And I have more thoughts about that, but I don't think this episode is the right time to explore them. So clearly, she's supernatural. Mm -hmm. Um, She's a snappy dresser. That red, the shoes. She looks phenomenal. She looks great. She really does. 
And she's angry. She's got a purpose, right? She wants something. Uh, she wants the key, which the monks were protecting. Keys, I am told, with some research, open locks. So the question would be, what is she trying to get to? And one thing we'll notice as the scene goes on is how she becomes a little, like more and more unhinged as it goes on. Like she's already there. <laughs> um, but as the conversation goes on, she gets more and more desperate perhaps and then we'll see her spin out a bit so she i like this because she says forgive me monkey <laughs> like she like calling a monk a monkey is actually really funny um she yanks off his duct tape right and she sits on his lap and she's like tell me where the key is or i'm going bowling and she aggressively she doesn't like put her fingers in his eyes i thought she did at first i was like well that's graphic but uh she's just you know she's just touching him violently so the monk speaks in a different language or czech he says kill me and she replies in czech and says we're in the new world now so for god's sakes and then she speaks in english and she says speak american so the monk says i will, I will tell you nothing so the woman says fine and she backs up and she starts to like when i said like she starts to get a little bit more unhinged like she kind of starts losing it and she says I don't know how much more of this I can take. And then a janitor who's handcuffed behind her, he is saying, look, lady, like whatever you are, whatever you're on, please. I have a wife. Her name's Jennifer and we have two daughters. I'm so sorry to tell you this, buddy. but Someone better go tell Jennifer that her husband's not coming home because this is and this is sad to me because um, you, you people are told this, right? When you're being held hostage or at gunpoint or something to tell the person who's attacking you that like remind them that you're a human almost and tell them like, this is my age and this is where I grew up and these are my parents. And this is my family and like stuff like that. So, ah, oh, poor little janitor. So the woman leans against this column and she's having her meltdown and she says, I bet you think this is funny. Like say it, you, you like to torture me. You don't even, you don't even own the damn thing and I want it and I need it and I've got to have it now and you keep refusing me to tell me where the key is and it's typical. So typical, it's typical, it's typical. And the way that the shots are, right? It's it's like, mm -hmm. how do you describe it? It's like quick cuts. Like she's has, she had like three takes to say it's typical many times, you know? Yeah. Uh, the whole mortal meat pack, not now, mommy's talking. Like she just keeps cutting to like different conversations she's having in her head. Um, I, I don't know how... Uh, you feel about it, Cara, but I think it's pretty impactful to show that she's not right. <laughs> like, there's something off about the way she thinks and the way that she um, seems to get riled up. She's definitely a very interesting character. Um, mm. And I, I think it's probably too early to call her the big bad for this season. We don't know for sure, but she's clearly significant in some way. Um, you know, she's not completely dealt with by the end of this episode, so she's presumably coming back and they're spending a lot of time establishing her personality here. So mm -hmm. I think that's worth examining for sure. And I, I like that you brought up the camera thing because I also noticed that. And I think that's a, it's cool. Like it, it's interesting that they are playing around with that. We see something very similar when Buffy goes into her trance later in the episode. Yeah, using camera work to show the headspace of characters is really interesting. Um, one thing she says before it cuts away from her, she says, someone sit down on their tuffet and make this birthday stop. So she sticks her hands in what looks like inside the janitor's head. And there's a like a big 
thing of light. And then they both fall forward. And the, the man's not dead. He's whimpering, though. And she says, that's so much better. So that calmed her down, whatever it is that she did to him. But I wanted to point out here when she says, tough it. Like, that's another Little Miss Muffet reference, right? And that's something that we've seen connected to Dawn in the past couple of episodes. I know I can Google this, and I will later. So don't you don't have to write me about it people um but i like exposing my my ignorance sometimes <laughs> what's a tuffet isn't it like a cushion i i don't know that's why i'm asking <laughs> um but before everybody yells at me i will look it up afterwards it's not important i just think it's uh <laughs> you know it's yeah it's i don't know what it is that joss whedon was like i'm very obsessed with miss, little miss buffett did, did he just have the nursery rhyme stuck in his head he must have. Um, my guess would be that it's it's a it's a small cushion or a small seat of some sort. Because <laughs> hmm. like, why would Little Miss Muffet be sitting on other, anything other than a small little tiny mushroom seat? You know. So let's go to Giles's shop. It is bumping. The magic shop is packed. People are everywhere. Anya and Willow are helping out. Buffy's doing research. Uh, a woman asks Willow if they gift wrap whatever she's going to buy, and she's like. We do we we do, and Giles is helping customers, and um, he's overwhelmed. Xander comes in. He even like complains to Xander, right? He's like, "There's so many people. There's, they're, they're they all want things." <laughs> Xander's like, "I hear you. Stay British. You'll be okay." And he goes to Anya, who's at the counter, ringing people through, and she Anya hands the woman her bag, and she says, "Please go." <laughs> so Xander says, "You know," he kind of like mocks her. And he's like, you know, that's not how you say it. You should be saying, have a nice day. Anya says, but I got their money. So who cares what kind of day they're having? And Xander says, no one. It's just a long cultural tradition of raging insincerity. Embrace it. (laughs) I like that line. I think it's funny. I think it's, you know, valid to point out that, again, Xander is here explaining things to, to Anya like she's stupid. But I do think for customer service purposes, it does make sense for Anya to learn to be a little bit less blunt. I agree. Uh, the Anya shouts at the woman, hey, you, have a nice day. <laughs> and I, that made me laugh because... <laughs> she's overcorrecting at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it still sounds like a threat. So Xander's like, that's my girl. And Buffy tells Xander that someone put a spell on her mom to make her sick and she hasn't narrowed down the list of suspects yet. So I just want to stop for a moment. This is one of those little character moments I was referring to at the beginning of our episode. The way Xander sidles up next to Buffy, she's got the book open. So she's doing research, right? And he hasn't heard because he wasn't here earlier when she was talking with Willow and Giles about what was going on. So that's Buffy filling him in. And he's very confident. He's just like, well, don't worry, you know, we're going to get to the bottom of this. And he he references like, it, you know, it's kind of nice to have this feeling of being back in the library. So this is the first kind of explicit reference the show is making to how the magic box set is the new library where all the Scoobies are going to come and do research and work the problem. Yeah, and there's no place like home. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I I like that, and I like this moment between Xander and Buffy. You know, you and I have been critical of Xander and Buffy's relationship before because of the way Xander acts. But in this moment, he he is a friend, and he is expressing his sympathy for Buffy. He's expressing his confidence. Uh, maybe just a little bit of 
his experience in the replacement has rubbed off on him, right? He seems a little, he seems to be carrying himself a little bit better in this episode, and I think that's a positive thing. I agree. And I'll also say it's a positive thing that he believed her right away, right? None of this, are you sure, right? Like, this is a growth for Xander, and it yes. is nice to see. Yeah. So Willow has wrapped the gift just horribly, and Anya said, uh, she asked Anya if it's right, and Anya's like, Sure, if you wrapped it with your feet. <laughs> Willow gives Anya a dirty look for saying that. But I'm sorry, it's fucking true. Willow, obviously that's not right. It doesn't look good. Like, come on. Yeah, where's so your common I was, sense? I had two thoughts to this. The first one is, well, this is just another example of Anya and Willow having their spat, right? They don't like each other. Yep. And my second is more of a question to you. Because, of course, you and I met working at the front desk of an art gallery with a gift shop. And... Mm-hmm. Sometimes we would have to wrap things for customers. How did you enjoy? I was terrible at that. I was Willow in this situation. I was not good and I knew it. (laughs) I don't remember how you were. I don't know if you remember how I was. Did you ever have to rewrap my stuff? I don't remember. I honestly don't remember ever having to gift wrap anything. But I'm with you, Kara, because I'm also terrible at wrapping things like Christmas gifts, anything like that. I'm bad at it. Uh, I just... When I when I criticize Willow here, it's not because she can't do it. It's because she thought it was okay. Like she was like, "Is this fine?" You know what I mean? It's no, of course not. Like put it in a bag. <laughs> Gift bags are the the solution for everything. This is true. <laughs> it's true. Just bag with some um, tissue paper. It's beautiful. So um, Anya is fixing what Willow did while she's helpful to Buffy, and she says. Buffy, there's a French sorcerer back in the day that had a spell that demons hated called Terreur. I can't say it. <laughs> Terreur. <laughs> I can't. I can't pronounce. However, she said it. It's French. la couture. Beautiful. Your French is fantastic. It really isn't. <laughs> Willow says it means pull the, the curtain back, and Anya says it's a spell to see spells. It's more of a trance, you know, to see spells. And Giles says all spells leave a trace signature not per- perceptible to the human eye. In this case, it could be the image of a hand choking your mother. And Anya says a cloud of mist around you, and Willow says the shape of the demon performing the spell. And Buffy says. Okay, I'll go home. I'll get trancy and see what's affecting her mom. And I just want to add to like the 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 word trancy and all that stuff. Like our heads are just in the rave that was mentioned at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> maybe she's still in. The, maybe this whole episode is just her in the rave. It's actually yeah. It's a, it's a rave. It's a rave fever dream. So Willow says, I don't know, Buffy trances. And Giles is like, Sorcerer Cloutier was legendary. His skills at achieving higher states of consciousness were, and Buffy says, better than mine. But I've been practicing concentration drills. I know I'm close. It's my mom. I'll get ready. What do I need? So I love this. I love what you said earlier, that the magic shop is now representing the library, like a safe space where all the Scoobies go to solve problems together. But their support of Buffy, like here, Willow, Anya, and Giles all came together to explain that there's something that Buffy can try. And Xander was really supportive on the side. Yeah, it was really like comfy. I, I just loved the way it came together. Also, I, I realize now I misread your note. Um, and I said, Ture la couture, which would be like, open up the uh the culture um <laughs> it's tire la couverture but again my french is not great i apologize to all of you who speak french forgive my french uh so buffy gets right down to business she is in her room she has the ingredients and she's getting ready and and she's saying 
to somebody off the screen, thanks for the help. Like, thanks for agreeing to help. I really appreciate it. Who do you think she was talking to? Don. <laughs> I thought she was talking to Willow or maybe Tara. We haven't seen Tara in this episode. And, you know, Tara's yeah. a pretty big magic heavyweight. Then the camera reveals that it was Riley. Womp womp. <laughs> it's, it's like when you, uh, you know, you bite into a cookie and you realize it's oatmeal raisin instead of chocolate chip. Yeah. Um, although, disclaimer, I actually love oatmeal raisin, so that's not a problem for me. Like, don't you don't you besmirch oatmeal raisin? <laughs> oatmeal raisin right? is a mood. Yeah. But uh, but that's the, I imagine that's the way people would describe this experience of like you think you're talking to Willow or Tara and suddenly you realize you're talking to Riley. <laughs> Tara would have been such a great support in this type of spell for Buffy, you know? Right. So anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Riley's like, well, what do I do? Because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know anything. <laughs> Beep, rap, rap. <laughs> uh, and Buffy's like, oh, lots, tons, lots and lots. She's like, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, all praying, no slaying. That's me. <laughs> so she's like, you got to ignite the incense. Um, you need to pour this stuff around me in a circle counterclockwise. Um, and Riley, he's kind of like, oh, that's what you need me for? He's a little dismissive. And Buffy protests. She's like, no, like, I really do need you. And he says, no, you got to do this ritual alone. Uh, you're just trying to make me feel less, what were the words? Cute and weak and kittenish? Buffy corrects him, kitteny. <laughs> uh, so he sits down on her bed and he looks at her and he says, I really am okay. So I'm not quite super guy anymore. It was borrowed power anyway. Had to give it back sometime. They come, they come so close to having an honest conversation here, Steph. I was like, are they going to do it? Are they going to do it? Judges, we're watching, we're waiting. Buffy says, oh, I know. You can handle yourself. I just didn't want to see you get hurt. And Riley says, instead of you trying to take care of me, how about we try to take care of each other? Eh, I'm sorry. Uh, the judges are in, and this was not the open, honest communication that we needed at this point. Neither of them is really saying what they are actually feeling here. Yes, I agree with you. And like, uh, the sentiment of what Riley said, even it, like, I agree with it. I think on, on one level, I was like, he's right. Like, you know, in a relationship, you need to be equal. You take care of each other, right? You, you lift each other up when you need to be lifted up. Um, but coming out of Riley's mouth, it, it just comes off as it's hard for me to swallow it coming from Riley because I can't help but feel there's always that edge to Riley where he's saying, I need to take care of you, Buffy. Again, a normal a normal relationship where they talk about stuff and where things are equal, that's the perfect thing to say. But I don't believe you. My notes read, in all caps, because I get shouty in my notes, Riley, fuck off back to Iowa, you ungrateful sack of muscles. <laughs> okay, so you had a little harsher view of it than I did. I think he's being toxic here. It mm. sounds like he's being reasonable. It sounds like yep. he's trying to have a conversation about his feelings with Buffy. But really what he's doing here is he's saying, I am hurt that, like you said, you don't want me to take care of you. He's saying, I need to be involved in this. Riley, Buffy is trying to hunt a monster that's killing her mom or whatever, right? Like, this is not the time, my dude. And you need to recognize that. And if you have a beef with Buffy, if you're unhappy with her, you need to come out and say it instead of poking at her like this and being like, oh, you're not giving me enough to do. You're not involving me enough in your Slayer life. It's like, my man, 
I'm sorry that Buffy is not willing to emotionally manage your man-child attitude here. Um, step up and make a job for yourself or don't, right? But like, you're less useful than Xander at this point. <laughs> so Buffy stands up. She's like, oh, I'm all done. <laughs> um, she's like, sure, we can do this. Handshake. Um, and then he kisses her. He's like, for luck. And she smiles at him and she says, oh, you know, a girl needs more luck than that. Uh, so they kiss again a little bit more passionately, I suppose. My thoughts when I'm watching this was, ew, kissing, I don't like. Um, I don't understand the appeal of it at all. Mm. Um, but that train of thought led me to, oh, this is what Buffy's getting out of this relationship. Like, she is, Riley's correct. She does not love him. She is not emotionally invested in him at all. She wants the sugar. Like, that's all she wants from him. She just wants his lips and, I guess, his haunted dick. <laughs> he is a good time distraction for her from everything else, the chaos of her life, you know, um, figuring out the Slayer stuff, going back to university, I assume she is at some points. But, you know, yeah. And so her kind of, like, Asking for that extra kiss, I was like, mm, Buffy, okay, we see your priorities here. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're wrong about the physicality of their relationship and what that represents to Buffy because, hey, girl did not get any. She didn't get any touch for a really long time. She's, she's really embodying the faith philosophy of being like hungry and horny after hunting, right? Yeah, and she deserves that. Like I'm not here to say I don't think she should, you know, climb Riley like a tree when she does because good for her. Uh <laughs> they really are. I also thought about how short she is compared to yeah. Riley, and I understand that that is very typical for most people, right? I mean, I'm not that I date people, but like I am very tall. So I've never really had that dynamic with people I'm close to. I'm usually the taller person. Um but, you know, I, I I definitely was thinking, like, how does that work in the well, bedroom? Yeah, it's, it's definitely part of the appeal of Riley, I think, the fact that he is so tall and buff. Um, <laughs> so, hey, I, I agree with you on that. I have said we've been talking about this for five episodes now, right, that I, I do think Buffy loves Riley. But I think his representation of normalcy in her life is what she's really leaning into when that's not enough. That's not enough, right? And it's clearly showing right. how that's not making an equal relationship here. Riley, I don't need you here for the magic. I don't need you here for the slaying. I want you here to drive me to my mom's appointments and give me some, like you said, give me some sugar, right? But fulfill my physical needs. And <laughs> clearly it's not enough for Riley, but that's all Buffy needs from him. So again, like Riley, you need to, both of you need to sit and talk about this. And maybe you don't want to because you know what the outcome is going to mean. <laughs> I think they don't want to because it would be a boring scene and Joss Whedon doesn't want to write a boring scene. So he's just avoiding it. Oh, for sure. Let's just let's just like, yeah, let's just pull out the drama as much as we can of this relationship. But um, I agree with what you're saying. Um, Buffy does kiss him here because that's, hey, my normal boyfriend, she said back in season four, I thought he was supposed to be my, my normal Joe. We we're going to tra-la-la-la-la through the fields together, right? That's what she's still after for this guy. So yeah. give him a kiss, send him on his way, do your magic alone. So Riley leaves, which, great, good call. Um, and so Buffy lights the incense herself. Apparently she didn't need him. Big shock. She pours the sand out on her fluffy white carpet stuff. I know. 
I watched her do this in horror. I'm like, that is never coming out of that carpet. Is that part of the ritual that you have to pick the nicest carpet in your house? You must sacrifice the carpet. <laughs> To power the like, spell. Move that, the carpet. Take sacrifice. Do it in the basement. It was so awful. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, listeners. I know you didn't tune in to, to listen to us criticize Buffy's tidiness or whatever. Like maybe they did. Maybe this, they this, did. This is this is Kathy clipping her toenails on the sheets. <laughs> or the the toenails falling into the carpet in, in their room. That's that's what this is to me. I'm just like that is horrific. Yes, I was like, why, why, and like choose choose a hot maybe because she has to sit there for so long. But you could have gotten a tuffet, Buffy, to sit. You could put a towel down, like. So okay, so she does the spell, or she's trying to do the spell. Except there's a knock on the door. Guess who it is? Riley. (laughs) He's like, yeah, I forgot something. Did you need me? No, it's Dawn. She says to the door, "What are you doing?" And I laughed at this. Buffy says, my boyfriend, go away. <laughs> I know. That was so good. Such that a was good great. <laughs> yeah. Would you go away at that point, Steph? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Dodd's like, liar. Are you doing magic? And Buffy says, no, I'm not. So Dodd says, can I watch? Weird. And Buffy's like, no, you can't. And it's like, <laughs> so at this point, I'd be like, oh, you're masturbating. <laughs> um, all right. <laughs> Just say so. Like, just say. You know, I can smell the stinky incense, right? I'm like, well, that's just what you do. You, you know, you let yourself a nice candle and you put on some good music. Ah, the, when the vibe is right, you know. Um, so Dodd's knocking on the door again. She's like, please, like, you know, she's trying to open the door, and Buffy's like, no, like, shoves it shut. And Don says, well, you know, I can smell your incense. Uh, I'm gonna tell on you. Um, and Buffy's like, fine, tell whatever. And so she puts a like a shirt down to act as a baffle below the door. Don stomps away, stomps next door, slams her bedroom door. Not cool, Don, not cool. Mom's trying to rest. And Buffy goes back to the circle that she poured and, and tries to concentrate, and she does the spell. Let's just talk about Don for a second here. Again, uh, we're going to, hey, we're going to get into Don real soon. But uh, let's just note here how annoying it appears that she's trying to get in the way again of Buffy, of something Buffy's doing that's important. For some reason, Dawn's inserted herself in there. And it's annoying. <laughs> Little sister annoying. <laughs> so the sunset, Zen sounds, wind chimes, spell work is happening on Buffy. Uh, we see landscape shots. Buffy's concentrating. The camera sweeps around her. I think hours have gone by because by the time she gets up, it's dark. And uh, we know she's in some sort of trance because it's like sepia tone now. <laughs> but what I think is Buffy got super high off whatever was being given out of the rave. She's, she's not burning incense. She's accidentally burning from Joyce's stash. <laughs> she's like, oh, I mixed it up again. <laughs> so she's going downstairs and we know she's still in the trance again. Sepia tone. Everything's a little bit off in terms of the camera work. Uh, The Zen music is still playing. She goes downstairs and Joyce comes to her and Joyce says, I'm going out. Either modern medicine is working or I just took the world's best placebo. (laughs) So uh, Joyce also got into her stash and she's going to go out for a couple hours. Uh, Presumably to the book club is what you thought, right? Buffy is concentrating on Joyce and she says, 
there's nothing. And that's because nothing is different about Joyce at all. She just says, I'm going to go out and she looks completely normal. And Joyce says, are you feeling okay? You're looking a little out of it. Have you gotten into my stash? <laughs> she didn't say that. She's she's noticing Buffy's acting weird. Buffy sees a picture uh, behind Joyce that has Buffy, Joyce, and Dawn in it. But Dawn keeps flashing in and out. So Buffy tells Joyce, I'm fine. You know, long day. Have a good time. And Joyce says... You're so grown up. And she leaves. And honestly, Cara, I was like, <laughs> what? Like, when did Joyce become the best mom in the world on this show? You know, like somewhere between season three and now. Like, it was such a sweet little thing for her to say to Buffy and then leave, you know? So Buffy notices another picture where Dawn is vanishing out of the frame. So Buffy goes upstairs and she opens Dawn's room and even Dawn's room, which is like, you know, a little kid room that we've seen before, it's flashing in and out from Dawn's room to some storage room that must have been there before. And Dawn comes to the door and she says, Buffy, who said you could come, you could come in my room? And Buffy's looking at her and Dawn's also blinking in and out, like of reality it looks like and buffy says you're not my sister <gasps> and the mu the music is getting more sinister at this point too right yes so suddenly the trance wears off and dawn says well yeah like i even want to be related to your nasty but buffy does not hesitate she grabs dawn aggressively and she says what are you and dawn says get off me and buffy says you want to hurt me and dawn says let go of me you freak and buffy says then you deal with me and Dawn says, I'm telling mom. And Buffy says, stay away from my mother. And she pushes Dawn hard against her closet door. This was a little, this was a little hard to watch. Yeah. Um, you know, like Buffy is so much stronger than Dawn, even if she weren't the Slayer, just the fact that she's older, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Like watching, like this is, this is not a, a little sibling hair pulling cat fight. This is like. I'm physically harming you right now. Um, and it made me really uncomfortable to see Buffy do that. This is where the episode picked up for me, like just now, because like this scene happened and I was like, whoa. But also suddenly the sinisterness of Dawn completely changes. Like we're this whole episode, we're like, oh, she's annoying. Oh, she needs to shut up, blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden it's like, Dawn might be a threat and Buffy's reacting as such. And the two girls are staring at each other, right? The phone rings and we cut to Buffy downstairs and she answers it and it's Giles. And Giles is telling her, um, and by the way, the, the it's still packed, the store. And Giles is saying that we may have underestimated what we're dealing with. The orb is called the Dagon Sphere, and it has a history of going back many centuries. It's a protection device used to ward off ancient primordial evil. And Buffy says, any word of what this evil looks like? And Giles says, no, this is where accounts get vague. All we've managed to uncover so far is the Dagon Sphere was created to repel that which cannot be named. So Voldemort. <laughs> um... Buffy says she's going to go back to the factory so she can find some answers. And Giles is like, be careful. Anything, anything that goes unnamed is usually an object of deep worship or great fear, maybe both. And then he asks, did you complete the trance? Did you see what's harming your mom? And Buffy says, well, the thing is, I just saw, and this is so creepy. And this is why I think this episode did this so well, because Buffy was alone in the living room. But when she says, I just saw... We see that Dawn is behind her. Somehow she had creeped up and she's now behind Buffy. Buffy senses this and she says, nothing, it didn't work. And she hangs up and she turns to Dawn. And Dawn says, 
what are you talking about? And Buffy says, Slayer stuff. I'm going out. And Don says, do you really think I care that you're the Slayer? And Buffy says, what's that supposed to mean? Then nothing. So she says, I'll be home in an hour. And Don says, mom's coming back. And Buffy says, I'll be back first. So I I love love this. This This is so good. Yeah, this is so good. Don is creepy. Yeah, the atmosphere has Mm. turned on a dime. And, you know, this is what we were talking about earlier, where it's like, well, now this was the foreshadowing of there's something sinister about Don. And you and I have talked about this since Real Me, right? We're like, well, who is this girl? Why is she here? Like, we don't know why she's here. So it seems like Dawn is the threat. She is the monster. Maybe she's the big bad of the season. Yeah. Um, And also, like, threatening. Like, mom's coming back. Like, Buffy sees that as a threat. She says, I'll be back first before you can do anything about it, right? And that's what I think is so clever is the fact that everything, every line of Dawn's can be interpreted in two ways, right? And Buffy's reading it in the most sinister way, whereas Dawn's just like, mom's coming back, and if you're not here and you leave me alone, you're going to get in trouble, right? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we don't know that, right? So Dawn might be on to, if Dawn is, in fact, evil, she could be on to Buffy cluing in now, right? And they'd be like, if you leave, like, mom will get home. Ooh, scary. So... Outside, Buffy starts to march off, and then she stops because she either senses something or, as I suspect, she smells something. (laughs) I thought she saw a bunch of cigarettes on the ground to indicate that this person was here. (laughs) I thought she was smelling the cigarettes is what I thought. So she grabs something from behind the tree, and of course, it's Spike smoking a cigarette, and he says, hi, Buffy. (laughs) Fancy seeing you here. (laughs) What are you doing here? I want to start off because I have a lot of things to say <laughs> about this scene. Um, I want to start off by saying I really like the scene, and I think James Marsters does an amazing job They both with do. Spike. They both do. Yeah, they both do. Um, but there's just something about James Marsters' portrayal of Spike's emotions <laughs> and his emotional range throughout this, not just this season, but like in general. It's just, it's just really fun to watch. So Buffy says, don't take this the wrong way, but, and then she punches him. And she says, what are you doing here? Five words or less. And Spike says, uh, he counts on his fingers. He says, out for a walk, bitch. And <laughs> classic line. Let's talk about that in a bit. So so Buffy says, out for a walk by my house. No one has time for this, William. And I'm sorry, but like, Buffy, why aren't you just killing him right now? Why don't you just stake him? Because the last episode, he tried to kill you. And Riley. <laughs> so why aren't you just killing him now? I'm assuming this is the first time she's seeing him since that time. Maybe she doesn't have a stake on her. I, <laughs> I, I don't. I, I'm past making excuses for Buffy at this point. I know. And this is something that like we, we bring it up almost every episode since season four. But like it, at this point, obviously it's not going to happen. But at this point, I think it does take away <laughs> from the reality of Buffy it, it takes it away a bit because I'm like, she definitely should kill him, obviously, especially after the last episode. So Spike says, be on your merry way then. You know, contrary to one's self-involved worldview, your house happens to be directly between parts and other parts of this town. And I would pass by the day, but it feels like I'm outgrowing my whole bursting into flames phase. So Buffy's like, fine, keep going and I'll cut you a break. And she goes to leave. And Spike like stops her and he's like, I'm just passing through. Satisfied? You know, I really hope so. 
God knows you need you need some satisfaction in life besides shagging Captain Cardboard. <laughs> and I never really liked you anyway. And you have stupid hair. <gasps> and he leaves. Her hair is the best it has ever been. Shut up, Spike. Spike. Take it back. Buffy is so confused. And she notices, yes, there is a pile of cigarettes by the tree. As Buffy walks away, we see Dawn again being creepy, watching from the window. It's so weird. Okay. So, yeah, so I've got things to say. Um, can we talk about the line out for a walk, bitch? Sure, we can talk about it. <laughs> it is a classic, right? This is a funny line. But I think Lily Anderson in our interview with her in our bonus episode that came out earlier this season. Plug, plug, plug. Plug, plug, plug. Uh, I really think that she was right because she says the use of the word bitch used so freely by Joss Whedon, by the male characters on the show, and on the show in general. Um, it's not good, right? And Spike's misogynist, this we know. And he's called Buffy a bitch before, so this is nothing new for him. Well, he, he he's used a lot of words, right? He keeps calling Harmony a bint. Like um, mm. it, like you said, you're right. It's the, it's the casual misogyny. Yes. And I think what we're critiquing here, you know, because yes, if you agree with us that Spike is a misogynist, then it makes sense for him to use this language. But what I think we're critiquing is that it's lazy writing on the part of Joss Whedon and the other writers to manifest Spike's misogyny in this way. Yeah, because it's so casual, because it's used so often, and because it's used in this funny way, people give it a pass. And again, hey, you watch the show as you want to watch the show. You want to laugh at that joke, laugh at it. Uh, but just be aware of what it oh, means and what it's pointing out. In this out. specific instance, I mm -hmm. think it's hilarious, right? Yeah. Like, if there is any moment in this show where you should use the word bitch, it should be here. Um, I, I think because Spike uses it too freely and maybe other characters use it too freely, that has ruined it for us overall. But yes, I don't want anybody to think that we're criticizing this particular line. <laughs> it is hilarious. That is a well-deployed use of it. Because if you're looking at Spike when he's saying it, he's caught off guard. So yeah. him calling her a bitch is his way of trying to feel more in control of this situation when Buffy actually has all the power here. <laughs> so I think it, it makes a lot of sense for him to do that here. It's not as gratuitous as it is in other parts of his dialogue. Yeah, I agree. I just, we just had to point it out because uh, this is definitely something we, we've talked about with mm -hmm. Lily and she had the similar viewpoint. So um, what also is interesting about this line, because you're saying, like, like you said, he's trying to take back a little bit of the power <laughs> in this conversation because he already started off with hi buffy because remember <laughs> the dream in the last episode he had a dream an erotic dream with buffy and he claimed in the dream that he loved her so i think he's very confused right now and that's why he's clearly been lurking outside her house i don't know if all those cigarettes are from tonight meaning he's been out there for hours or multiple oh. nights Right? Oh, or there's no. multiple nights of him coming and smoking a cigarette, looking at her through the window. Ooh, creepy. Is um, Harmony still in the picture, too? Like, does she know what's going on? <laughs> he probably just thinks, oh, I'm going to go out for, like, a cigarette and, some, and find some blood. But really, he's lurking outside Buffy's house. And hey, we've said this when Angel used to lurk, right? Vampire's going to lurk, okay? That's what vampires do. But he's clearly been doing this for a while yeah we don't know what spike is out here doing like what is he what is his purpose to stand out here 
and be within the presence of Buffy without her knowing. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and I think this is probably a good time for us to just, you know, talk about that whole Spike versus Angel lurking thing. Because some people have accused us of giving, or accused you, I should say. People Again, people don't come for me. I don't know why. I'm special. I'm uh, special. You know, some people have accused you of giving Angel a pass. But I will point out, if I'm remembering correctly, we talk about this in season one. Um, and we talk about it again in season two when we learn from Becoming that Angel was kind of stalking Buffy a little bit. So we do talk about this stuff. The difference is... He does eventually introduce himself, and then it turns into this consensual situation of, like, Buffy's aware that he's showing up at her window, and they're, like, making out in her bedroom and stuff, right? Spike doesn't seem to be doing that. This is not Spike going up to Buffy and, like, hey, I fancy you. I think we should have a relationship. This is Spike watching Buffy's house, and unlike Angel and Buffy... They're already enemies, right? Or frenemies. Like, they have a pre-existing relationship. So we have criticized Angel before. And what Spike's doing is much more creepy than what Angel was doing. Again, and like we're saying, Angel, I knew what his purpose was in approaching Buffy from the shadows, right? Like, he uh, was lurking in the hopes of, yes, introducing himself to her, but also that he was going to help her fight the good fight. We don't know what Spike's intention is here. We know that he had a sexual dream about her. We know that he created a dummy in her likeness and beat it up. And we also know that literally last episode, he tried to kill her. So what is this? Like, I, it's that's that's the creepy aspect of it for me. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. So I also think, though, that... Again, I really enjoy James Marster's portrayal of Spike being confused, right? Where he's like, hi, Buffy. But then he's like, wait, I can't be nice to her because we're enemies. So like, I do stupid hair and I, I hate, hate you. I, I <laughs> hate her, but I also am really into her. What's going on? I just think this is a whole narrative, talk, a toxic narrative that we feed children at a very young age that if the boy likes you, he'll be mean to you. Right. And that's yeah. kind of what is being played up here, which is, yeah. hey, on one hand, I'm not saying it's not funny and it's not entertaining because it is. But I just wanted to point that out as well, that like, we're going to have big more conversations in the future about enemies to lovers and that trope. But in this case, again, I'm just saying like, it's, it's, it's not something I like, it's not something I swallow easily, the whole if he likes you, he treats you this way, because he doesn't want you to know, or because it's, it's just boys being boys. That's an excellent way of putting it. So, okay, I have such a funny thing to say after this because joyce returns home right joy like buffy goes to go check out the factory joyce comes home and she's calling for the girls and creepy ass dawn is in the hallway with a cup of tea and she says hi mom and joyce is like where where's buffy and and dawn is like you don't have to worry about her and joyce says you're probably right it's you know it's not like she's never patrolled before anyway i was feeling kind of what's the medical term crappy so i called off the big night and Dawn says, you want tea, Mom? I made it for you. So fucking sketchy as hell, Dawn. You didn't know she was coming home. The fuck? So that is so creepy. She's just, she's been making a cup of tea every half hour on the half hour. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> okay, but we need to talk about Joyce because Joyce, there's two two possible things that happened here. One, she went to go pick up 
her weed supply and came back. The, but I just thought the timing is a little too coincidental that Spike is outside the house. Joyce left, I don't know, let's say an hour ago. Uh, oh. s- s- perhaps they had a little rendezvous in the bushes out front. Spice rides again. <laughs> right? Spike was enjoying his post-coital cigarette. You're so right. We as know from we this know, show. Yes. Right? Oh, my God. And there's multiple cigarettes out front, meaning oh maybe not from just tonight, but like, Joyce, suddenly your headache, suddenly the fact that you're out of energy really it's not that surprising you know so joyce went outside this is making so much sense banged spike for a couple hours right she watched buffy leave she watched buffy leave the house and catch spike mid-cigarette oh my god it's right? the perfect theory that's why Spike is so awkward. Yeah. And then they enjoyed a little, you know, they a little toke sesh before they go back in. That's why Joyce isn't fucking pissed that Buffy left Dawn alone. Yes, thank you. That was what I was going to talk about. <laughs> no, this is what I'm... She comes in, she's like, oh, no big deal. When, like, three episodes, Joyce, you were losing your shit that, that Dawn might be left home alone. So I think it's because she knows in her head that Dawn was never truly left she's, home alone. She's definitely stoned right now that's all i'm yeah. gonna say about that and i think she was also probably shook that buffy caught spike out front because she almost caught spoice out front you know <laughs> so you really dodged a bullet she's counting her oh, blessings she's like give me that tea let's watch movies i'm so happy you came up with that theory i love it thank you timing's a little bit too coincidental is all i'm saying so Buffy enters the the factory and she finds finds the monk and she's getting chatty with him as she's untying him. She's like, you planted the Dagon Sphere, right? I got it. Don't worry. I'm stronger than I look. I have experience with stuff like this before. Okay. And so funny, this woman is approaching Buffy from behind and the monk can see her and she's like tiptoeing, like play stalking. <laughs> she's like, Ooh. The expression <laughs> on her face. She's like, oh, I'm so scary. <laughs> so... Uh, Buffy says, best of all, and Buffy turns around and grabs this woman by the throat, and she says, I'm not stupid. Oh, I love this moment. I I yelled. I'm just like, yes, like, your hair looks good. (laughs) You got this leather jacket on. You got the earrings. I'm just like, damn, Buffy. Two fantastic-looking women, and the woman punches Buffy so hard that she flies across the room and hits the wall, leaving this huge dent. Well, she reveals the walls made out of like papier mache, right? Like this is, <laughs> that is not how concrete breaks. Good, yeah, it's true. Uh, but uh, regardless, she flew across the room, and the woman says, "You sure about that last part? Whoa, what's happening?" So. Cut to the magic shop. The last customer has left the store and Giles, Xander, and Willow are all exhausted. And they're sitting around this table and they're like, oh my God, my everything hurts. I'm numb. And the only person with energy is Anya. And Anya is counting the cash at the register. And she's like, Giles, you're out of crystal balls. Those babies are really popular with the amateurs. Better restock and raise the price 10%. Make it 15. Your cash register is like a squirrel's nest in it. And the hand of glory packs some serious raw power. Better institute a seven-day background check. Wow. Okay, number one, love that Anya has, like, just taken over this duty. Like, I don't think Giles is paying them for today. I think he just expected them to help, which they are. 
I love that Anya wants to put like a weapon control check, right? That she's instituting this in the store because it's a lot more than what the United States does for their guns <laughs> and the gun laws in uh, in that country. Um, but she's saying like this hand of glory is really seriously powerful and we should definitely check out people before we give it to them, we sell it to them. And also what an interesting name, the hand of glory. So... Giles has been trying to get her attention this whole time. Finally, he shouts. He's like, Anya, would you like a job? And she's like, okay, boss. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. it. It's It's so so good. It's so perfect. cute. It's so wholesome. It's like, and and I want to acknowledge the irony. You know, here I am, anti-capitalist at heart, um, talking about how much I love Anya embracing her capitalist version of the American dream. But it's cute. It's just like, yes. You know, like she's tried so hard to fit in and be human since she lost her demonic powers. And here she is. She's getting a job, but she's good at this. Like Giles needs her. And it was it was only a few episodes ago that Giles was criticizing her and hopping on the let's criticize Anya train. So this is nice. I want nice things for Anya. And Xander cannot give those to her. I don't care how nice his apartment is now. Um, so Anya needs the money to buy those things for herself. <laughs> yeah. And Giles recognized her pure talent in retail sales. So that's awesome. Uh, Willow is saying any word from Buffy and Giles is like, her spell didn't work, but she's investigating who left it, who left the orb behind. Uh, just hope she doesn't do anything too rash. Cut to this woman kicking Buffy's ass. Like, oh my God, I don't think we've ever seen Buffy get thrown around this much well i mean there's adam right um i I think this is a pretty common trope of having the new big bad or new significant villain come in and beat down on a powerful character it's called the wharf effect on tv tropes because usually that was Worf's job on star trek the next generation because he was this big strong klingon security officer so the bad guy of the week would come in and toss Worf around a bit like he was just a big teddy bear (laughs) Um, But you're absolutely right about why this is happening, right? We're we're supposed to take from this that this new character is a significant threat to Buffy. She doesn't even need an arm needle. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, um, like, I want to compare this to the fight we saw at the beginning of the episode where Buffy was fighting that incredibly large vampire uh, who would appear to be powerful in his white boy gang attitude and look. Uh, but Buffy took him down no problem and she was being snarky about it. So here we have this character, this woman, appearing to do the same to Buffy because she's giving Buffy snark while she's doing it. She's saying, this whole beat you to death thing I'm doing, it's valuable time out of life that I'm never going to get back. And Buffy headbutts her hard. And the the woman says, you hit me. What are you, crazy? And Buffy starts uh, fighting her and getting some pretty good hits in. And the woman says, you can't go around hitting people. Like, what, were you born in a barn? Fine, be that way. And she tries to punch Buffy a couple times and she hits the cement column behind her. And, like, she punches right through the cement. So we know that she's very strong. We already knew that. But she says... Oh, you have superpowers. That is so cool. Can you fly? And she throws Buffy across the room who and she lands like hard, you know, hard she's, next to the monk. She's hurt. Like you can see it in her face and the way she's holding herself. Um, she knows she's not going to win this fight. And I, she's shocked, right? Because 
I think she underestimated this person. Um, and my thinking here is this is an evil Buffy. Like, not literally an evil Buffy, but, like, and maybe I'm just thinking about the replacement and stuff. Like, here we have a character who is just as strong, if not stronger, than Buffy, who is a blonde, a young blonde woman, right? And I'm like, hmm, clearly something's happening here. <laughs> What's going on? Um, yeah, well, Buffy realizes I'm hurt and I'm not going to win this fight. So she, what she does is she gets the monk up and she throws herself and the monk out of the window like three stories down i don't know how she walked away from this nor him uh and the woman is so mad and she runs to stop them but her heel breaks <laughs> so on her on her high heel she gets so mad that she starts stomping and that causes the factory to cave in on her so buffy's helping the monk up and this is significant because like i can't remember the last time buffy ran away from a fight like this, like defeated, yeah. you know? So clearly this villain is a contender. The monk is dying, right? He can't go any further. And I really wanted Buffy to just like throw him over her shoulder. This is the problem with <laughs> escort missions. <laughs> so he says his journey is done. Um, and then she, he says the key, you must protect the key. And Buffy says like, fine, we can protect the key together, but far, far from here. And he says, many more will die if you don't keep it safe. And Buffy says, what is it? And he says, the key is energy. It's a portal. It opens the door. And Buffy says, the Dagon Sphere? Pay attention. <laughs> no, God damn it, no. I'm dying here. I got like two minutes left. We thought you'd be smarter than this. <laughs> He's like, we've made a terrible choice, my brothers. <laughs> so he says, for centuries, it had no form at all. My brethren, it's only keepers. Then the abomination found us. We had to hide the key, gave it form, molded it flesh, made it human, and sent it to you. And Buffy says, Dawn. And he says, she is the key. And Buffy says, you put that in my house? And he says, we knew the Slayer would protect it. And she says, my memories, my mom's. And he says, we built them. And she says, unbuild them. This is my life, you're. And he says, you cannot abandon her. And she says, I didn't ask for this. Like, who is she? And he says, human. Now human and helpless. Please. She's an innocent in this. She needs you. And Buffy, like a tear is falling down her, her face. It's a lot. This is a lot to take in. And she says, she's not my sister. And the monk says, she doesn't know that. And then he dies. Ooh, and a tear falls down Buffy's face as she takes this in. Kara, holy shit. Holy shit. This is a lot to take in. So in this scene, and like I said at the beginning, I didn't realize that this scene was going to come so soon in the season. But... Oh, there's so many things to think about. So so Dawn is this mystical energy that has been turned human two months ago by these monks for Buffy to protect. What a fucking violation. <laughs> what a violation on Buffy's life, on her mother's life, on her friends' lives. Because you and I have talked many times on the show about mind rape, right? Xander did it in Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered. Jonathan did it in Superstar. This isn't right, right? You don't have a right to warp people's minds, memories, and lives this way. Turns out Superstar was foreshadowing. Mm. Um, yeah. Sorry, I, I was just going to make a silly Ghostbusters joke here about how well, if Don's the key, then where is the key master? And we got to look for Zool. But 
you're right. There is a much more serious <laughs> conversation to be had here. Although maybe we can pun some of that to next week because so at this point, only Buffy knows this, right? And she doesn't tell anybody. Yeah. The next scene is the coda of the episode. The rest of them are going to figure it out at some point. I don't know how many episodes it's going to take. So I think we'll have a, a continual conversation about this. Um, but you're you're right. Like, this is bad. I don't agree with what the monks did here. I'm sorry that the key <laughs> was so precious to you that you thought you had to do this, but you don't have the right. Additionally, this is connected to the ongoing arc this season of Buffy learning about her uh, connection to the Slayer powers, right? Because we were told in Restless that the the first Slayer was created to protect her people. And she was ostracized for it. She had to be alone because, you know, that is the darkness within her because it's the power like a demon or whatever. And so now we're seeing this kind of second example of People are deciding for the Slayer what they should do to her to have her protect them, right? Nobody came to her and was like, hey, we have this important MacGuffin that you need to protect from the big bad of this season. Uh, Nobody gave her the choice. They were just like, you are our tool and our weapon for defending humanity. We're not going to give you the choice. We're going to force this burden on you. So I feel like there's that additional layer that we need to talk about. This is not just a straight up mind rape that is part of it but it's also another example of how the um i don't know what we call them the they're not allies but, but like the people who should be good guys whether they're the watchers council or the these weird monks or whatever they are making decisions for buffy because at the end of the day they see her as a tool as a, a girl that they can exploit and use for their own purposes they have the best of intentions in terms of protecting the world, but they're not pure and they're not doing a good thing. Yeah. Two more thoughts on this. The first one is um, kudos to this monk, to this um, actor who played the monk. I think he really sold that shit like that. I think that was really good. He did a good job in this episode. Uh, number two, though, and hey, I, I'm going to say it now because I'll probably forget uh, as the weeks go on, but turning the key or whatever this is, into a human seems like a lot of work. It seems like a terrible plan. Just turn it into a tiny little pebble and chuck it into the Grand Canyon. That's what I think you should have done. Well, presumably, this character can sense the key in general, right? Like, she knew enough to come to Sunnydale. Um, so I, I think what they're thinking here is if they were to just try to hide the key without having protector for it, eventually this person's going to find it, even if it's a pebble in the Grand Canyon, right? It's got some kind of mystical energy. Mm. I don't know. Um, so I, I I see where you're coming from. Um, maybe let's revisit it <laughs> at the end of the season and be like, was this such a bad plan after all? But um, I think you're right that should this have been the first thing they tried? Like, of all the people in the world, is the vampire slayer the one you want to go to? Are there not other defenders of super the supernatural world do you not call up the watchers council and you're like so uh who you got on deck to protect the key today like Mm -hmm. yeah i mean angel the vampire in la also could have been a contender we don't know so 
yeah. So this is a lot. Buffy goes home and she sees Joyce and Dawn on the couch. And this is so interesting. Again, like we saw the sinisterness from Buffy's point of view of Dawn earlier. But now we're, we're right back to where we were at the beginning of, of the episode where Dawn's a girl again. And think about what Dawn had to go through in this episode, right? Buffy, like you said earlier, not only she's a slayer, yes, but she's also older and was going to be more powerful than Dawn anyway. So poor Dawn is probably just really confused. Like, why would Buffy attack me like that? That's really scary. Um, and I'm, I'm confused as to why she's so mean to me today, right? So Dawn get, gets up when Buffy gets home and she, she tells Buffy, I wasn't bothering her. And she goes upstairs. And that actually, I really felt for Dawn in that moment because now we see into Dawn's point of view where um, Buffy told her, like, you're not my sister. So Dawn says, like, I wasn't bothering her. I'm just, and she goes upstairs, right? So Joyce asks, what, what was that about? And Buffy says nothing. And I really like this because Buffy pauses and then she says sister stuff. <sighs> like Buffy could have told Joyce right there. She could have said something. But Buffy's making a choice here, right? She's making a choice. I, I think she's also just in shock. Like, so we have to remember, she just got beat up. So physically, she probably feels like she got hit by a truck. I, I can't even imagine how badly she feels right now. Mm-hmm. So she's physically in shock. And then mentally, she's in shock. So I, I don't think she's capable of talking to her mom right now. Yeah. But I think even just saying sister stuff, she could have said nothing. Yeah, yeah. But she said sister stuff, mm. and that's significant. So Buffy goes upstairs, she knocks on Dawn's door, and she apologizes to her. And Dawn's like, you hurt my arm. And she's like, I know. And Dawn calls her a butthole. <laughs> and Buffy's like, really sorry. Uh, so Dawn doesn't take this easily, right? Like she says, oh, I sometimes picture that you're the adopted one, and you've got a taken from a box of baby howler monkeys, and you got bad fashion sense and smell. And Buffy's like, I'm sorry. You can't even take an apology. You always do that ever since dot, 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 dot. And oh my God, it's so complicated because Buffy realizes that memory she was about to bring up is a lie. It's lies, right? (laughs) So, so Buffy changes course and she goes and sits next to Dawn on her bed and she says, I just had a bad day. And Dawn says, join the club. I'm president. You can be janitor. And Buffy smiles at that and she says, okay. And after a moment, Buffy starts brushing Dawn's hair with her fingers, right? It's very loving and very caring. And Dawn says, Buffy, what's wrong with mom? And Buffy says, I don't know. And then she keeps brushing her hair. (sighs) Okay. Fade to black. That's the end. Kara, I teared up here. I got Mm -hmm. really, really upset for a couple of reasons. Mostly because I thought it was very touching. This is a very touching ending because the way I see it, when Buffy says sister stuff and then she goes upstairs and she starts literally caring for Dawn. Like this is the first time we've seen Buffy be soft toward her ever in the five episodes, right? Um, Up until now, Buffy's Slayer senses have been going off, being like, annoying, what is this? I need to be mean to her. But now that Buffy knows what is actually going on, she can push that aside and make decisions for herself. And I think she's deciding that Dawn is an innocent and Buffy protects innocent people. Yeah. And I think that Buffy sitting down with her and giving her this love shows that she is choosing to love Dawn anyway. You know, like, you're not my sister. You're not. But I love you and I want to take care of you. Well, 
I think it also goes back to the maturity we've seen from Buffy. This is no longer season one. Oh, why me? Why me? Why am I the Slayer? Why am I the prophecy girl? Like, why do I have to die? It's this is who I am. And I might not like how it happened, but this is my burden now and I'm going to carry it. And I mean, there's I think there's room for us to see that as tragic or to disagree with it. But I I hear where you're coming from, and I I largely agree. Like, it's sweet and it's touching and it's human, mm-hmm. and that is why I think the monks ultimately chose to embody Dawn. Is that there there is nothing stronger in this world than human to human connection, right? And that's what they needed. If mm-hmm. they had just handed Buffy a pebble or a Dagon sphere or a magic sword or something and said, <laughs> this is the key to protect it. Yeah. It's a thing. It's an object. It doesn't have that emotional significance that your sister has, right? Ooh, the monks. They just knew those monks. Ooh, those monks. Okay. But here's why I got teary-eyed on a more sadder note. And it's because when Dawn says, what's wrong with mom? And Buffy replies, I don't know. That actually broke my heart because I think Buffy also realizes that Dawn clearly loves their mother and she shares in Buffy's pain and confusion over what's happening with Joyce. Buffy would have done that alone beforehand as as an only child. She would have handled that alone. So I think recognizing that there's now a sister who, of course, mystically appeared, but she doesn't know that. And she loves Joyce just as Buffy loves Joyce. And she shares in that pain, like, what is wrong with our mother? And this is why it's so sad, because Buffy was so ready to believe in this episode that what's happening to Joyce is mystical, that something is affecting Joyce that can be found out, killed and resolved, right? It's something it's a it's a demon that's attacking my mother, and I can take care of that. But that's not the case. And that's not real life. And Joyce is sick. Something's happening with Joyce that Buffy can't fight. And I'm getting like emotional, but we, we think back to what Giles said in Killed by Death in season two. Um, death and diseases are things, uh, the only things that Buffy cannot fight. Yeah. And Buffy hasn't had to deal with this yet. So, uh, so like I didn't realize that the mom feelings would come so early in the season. I really didn't. Yeah. But what? But like this is something that I'm going to keep bringing up too, because obviously my mother was very sick too before she passed away. I was Buffy's age. Um, this hit me. It just it just really hit me. Like, what is wrong with Joyce? Buffy doesn't know. She thought she was going to solve it. She thought she was going to save her mom this episode, and she didn't. Yeah. Who's your hero? <laughs> My hero's Buffy. Solid choice. My hero's Buffy, but I also gave a hero's nod to Anya. <laughs> yeah. Really love the go-getter spirit. Love the drive. Hey, you go in there, you knock it out of the park, you get a job. You Good know? for her. Good for her. All right, let's get to our hot steaks. Our first hot steak is from Tiffany, who says the overprotectiveness of Dawn is from the monks that turned her into a person. They wanted her protected, and so they caused Joyce and Buffy to act so overprotective and infantilize her. I mean, she's a year younger than when we met the Scoobies. They don't really leave her on her own to really bring her out on the town. Interesting. Interesting idea. I disagree. (laughs) So why do you disagree? I mean, I I don't have any um, argument here. I think this is a valid reading. I'm not saying the text doesn't support this. I'm just saying I don't like it because I feel like that takes the 
the mind rape further, right? Like, it's one thing to implant these memories. Mm. It's another thing to try to, like, influence how people should act, if that makes sense. I, I think it's just Dawn's the younger... She's the baby. She's the younger... It's what Willow said in this episode, right? Because that is what happens with younger siblings. Not all the time, but often. Um, and we have to remember that they come from a home where, you know, Joyce and Hank divorced. And Buffy was older when that happened and was able to deal with it in her way uh, and kill demons, literally. Dawn was younger when that happened, right? And I, I think we we can't discount, gosh, I'm talking about this like Dawn's always been here. <laughs> she has. I, I think we can't discount that. So sorry, Tiffany, I'm not here to put you on blast. I think that's a really good idea that you've suggested. Um so thanks for sharing, but I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany, I kind of I like what I like your theory a lot because um, it's something that I was leaning into, and I knew you were going to get to your hot steak after that. But uh, earlier, when I noted that Willow was saying, like, I don't know, I can't help it. I just I just feel bad for her. Like I want to yeah. protect her, and I'm like that could play into the theory, right? That like perhaps people are more protective of her because she's the key, right? So Jordan writes in to say. Um, Dawn is constantly undermining Buffy and endangering Buffy and getting in the way of her training. And, and Jordan's talking specifically about real me, but it also applies to this, ep this episode. Number one, stops the training sesh early in the first scene. Number two, invites a vampire into Buffy's house. Number three, lets herself get kidnapped by vampires by running out into the night. My friend commented on how convenient it was that Dawn kept messing things up and endangering Buffy and Joyce. We see this more in Out of My Mind when the writers try to trick us with light uh and circumstances surrounding Don and Joyce but I wonder how much how many more times this shows up because my friend paused out of my mind to theorize that Don was a demon with universe altering powers like Anya who wanted to be close to the slayer to kill her but also thought it would end up with the demon loving being human and loving Buffy and Joyce enough to stay and change their ways just weird things that people may have thought on their first time watch so I love that I love the theory I love it too Joyce <laughs> Jordan, you give Joss Whedon way too much credit for giving <laughs> his characters happy endings. But imagine, like, if if Don was supposed to be the big bad villain, right? Like that, there are definitely sinister things that we pointed out in this episode. But you could definitely relate all the way back to real me as to how Don is sabotaging Buffy's life. So Jordan laid out a really a couple of really good points here. But look at this episode itself. Don is sabotaging Buffy and Riley's relationship. Uh, Don, you know, breaking things in Giles's store. Don trying to stop Buffy from doing her trance. She's a menace. She's a, well, she's a menace. And then we turn turns out it's just because she just is just like that. She just gets in the <laughs> she's way. Just a menace. Nothing supernatural. <laughs> she's just. She's there just is like something. <laughs> she is super. This is very the whole key thing is very confusing. It's confusing. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but hey, I really liked this idea that like people really might have been like, oh my god, she's a powerful demon yeah i get it <laughs> all right our final hot stake for this week comes to us from kelly who wants to talk about dracula why not let's talk more about dracula <laughs> mm. uh kelly says i wanted to point out that dracula seems to be the only vampire we see on buffy that does not have a vamp face even when he bites buffy in that hot but creepy seed in her bedroom not creepy. <laughs> he gives his regular face uh, he also has different fangs, two overgrown canine teeth, but that's it. Uh, and they're there all the time. 
Unlike Spike, for instance, whose whole mouth changes to a mouthful of razor-sharp shark teeth. <laughs> oh. Uh, and when he bit Buffy, the puncture wounds were different from the scar left from Angel. Uh, so what makes Dracula so different from other vampires? Uh, in reality, I know the writers just wanted to do something fun and different, but I thought these differences were worth pointing out. They are, because they're infuriating. <laughs> remember how annoyed I was I, during I, that episode? <laughs> I do remember. I also remember us talking about the bite sex, and we don't have to rehash it. Um, <laughs> Way to notice something that we didn't notice. It's so true. I, I Yes, yeah. I genuinely did not think about yeah. this. So thank you for bringing this up. Here's my theory. Because you know how, like, as the master got older and older, he turned more, like, bat-like or whatever, right? He can't unvamp face himself. Um, my theory is Dracula has done the opposite. Because we know he has control over magic, right? Or not control. He has magical abilities, spell work and stuff, thanks to his heritage or whatever. He's got all the glamour. Ooh. So this is a glamour. I think he's got a vamp face and he's hiding <gasps> Like it. in True Blood. Sure. Yeah, that's what they do. They glamour glamour me, Eric. I'm only like eight episodes in. <laughs> <laughs> Hurry up. We got to cover True Blood soon. So thanks for your hot stakes, everybody. Keep them coming. Season five has been so fun. We have to thank a new Buy Me a Coffee supporter. We have a new Scooby. Woo. Thank you, Amy for joining us and supporting us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Amy. And now our chosen ones, as always. You want to read mine? I'll read yours. Sure. Gosh, you're so chaotic. <laughs> Emma, Taza, Kyle, Destiny, Erica, Allison, Jace, Haley, Tasha. Lizzie, Hannah, Holly, Kayla, Brady, Jordan, Lena, Julian, Nicola, and Louise. Thanks, everybody. We will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can't afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join us in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook prophecy underscore girls on twitter also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website prophecygirls.ca where you can find the link to our discord can't wait to hear from you praise malik see you next week